Hi, my name is Christine. And I'm Josephine. And, and we're, we're your hosts for the Bitonal Podcasting. Hi, Josephine. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay, man. Um, this episode's a little bit more special. Mm-hmm. We got to interview Rags from the Frau Pow Podcast. Yep. Um, Rags lives in New Jersey. All around, just a wonderful lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, her and her co-host, Odd, met um, in roller derby. Mm, and, right, right. and on their podcast, they talk a lot about, like, I want to say more controversial topics and things that pretty much piss off your uncle or your dad at Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of their tagline. Yeah, and, which I um, love. Yeah, the amazing women. Yeah. And um, so uh, in terms of what we talked about and how we met Rags to begin with, mm. Uh, early on when we started our podcast, I kind of just reached out to a bunch of like Yeah, you were doing a lot of cold calls and whatnot. Yeah, like just like reaching out, getting a feel for what the the community's like, I guess. And then I think it was Rags herself who re- responded to me and like mm-hmm. gave us like a cool, bunch of cool tips and stuff. So naturally, we, we decided like, yeah, let's let's try to interview each other and get to know each other. Yeah. And uh, to our pleasant surprise, she pretty much talked about and is passionate about all the things we're passionate mm-hmm. about so in her episode um we talked about uh, the american healthcare system um, her visibility as a female identifying queer person and her, her journey with mental health mm-hmm. and living with chronic pain and a chronic illness yep and uh what were your thoughts about the interview i thought she was very well spoken i learned so much from her especially learning about the u.s healthcare system and how things kind of work because you hear horror stories from people but like she really goes into detail it's just obviously like living experience and it's just different hearing it from someone than hearing stories or reading it off um news the newspaper basically yeah so i really learned a lot and she is just incredible from everything that she does from roller derby to weightlifting to maze building yeah she, she like draws mazes she draws maze like yeah that. like yeah how does she have time for all that? She yeah. just and she works and she does yeah. this podcast. Yeah, just like like, um, like I said on the podcast, she's twenty seven. Mm-hmm. She mentioned so I'm like, uh, hopefully by the time we're twenty seven, we're just as busy. Yeah, yeah, um, she's just an inspiration. Yeah, overall, um, I personally really really enjoyed it, and mm-hmm. I hope you guys do too. And uh, just a quick warning: um, Josephine's mic ended up being completely turned off the whole wah, time, wah. Um, despite the signal coming in. I have no idea how, but yeah. uh, I tried to revive as much of her her audio as possible. Um, and we were recording on Skype, so um, depending on the connection at that time, you might get a little bit of buzzing. And again, I apologize in advance. And um, hope you enjoy. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hi, my name is Christine. And I'm Josephine. And we're your hosts for the Bitonal Podcast. Ding! Hi, Josephine. Hi. Hi, Regs. Hi. Um, today we, is a little bit of a special episode. We're calling we're calling a um, a very, very nice lady from New Jersey. Her name is Regs. She's from the Frau Pow Podcast. Uh, another, I guess, uh, podcast within our little sphere of podcasting world. And uh, we are with a pleasure of Regs making time for us. Yes. Um, so thank you for joining us, Regs. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Josephine, do you want to go ahead and just do a little bit of an intro? What do you What do you usually ask when you meet somebody new? Um, I usually ask, 
most important question. How do you take your coffee? But um, I do drink coffee. I actually work in the coffee import business for a little bit. So I've, I've had to taste test a hundred plus cups of coffee a day at one point. You get paid um, for this? Yes. Well, I got paid for this. I'm in a different industry now. I tend to drink espresso. Um, so I was raised culturally Italian. So growing up, it was always espresso. If I feel a little bougie, I go for a mocha latte with almond milk. Wow. Yeah. My order, I like my drink very sweet. Very, very, mm. Like sugary with a little taste of coffee. Mm. Well, uh, Regs, uh, usually when I meet somebody new, I'll say like, hi, what's your name? <laughs> Where are you from? How old are you? What's your hobbies? <laughs> okay. So um, I am... 27 years old. I'm almost 28. Uh, uh, my full-time job is a operations manager. So I handle, like I work in the supply chain world. Um, uh, that's not at all what I went to school for. I actually went to school for medieval history and philosophy. So yeah. Um, what else about me? I play roller derby. I'm in Mm -hmm. my, uh, fourth season. Mm -hmm. Uh, and fourth or fifth season oh god i don't remember um what else is there oh i'm a competitive weightlifter i compete in strong woman competitions and i have a podcast for our pow and on the side of all of this i also have like a little side hustle going on where i draw and carve mazes so Uh it's like this really weird skill that i can do and all my mazes are solvable like completely solvable I don't know. My brain just does weird things. And I'm pretty sure I have like ADHD of some sort because I just can't stop moving. I mean, that sounds like you're jam packed. I was drawing my templates and everything earlier. And then I saw your text. And as you were setting up, I was packaging some things that were going to get shipped out to customers that ordered custom mazes. And here we are. Now I'm sitting and not doing anything except talking to you. Okay, and what an icon! What a multi! What a what a productive person! Right? <laughs> yeah. See, we're we're tw- uh, how old are you, Josephine? You're 23, and I'm 24, and we're just what do we do on a daily basis here? <laughs> just talking about this earlier because Christine was talking to me about her week while she was off in Calgary, and she's like, "What did you do?" And I'm like, "I literally just lay around in bed and." watch tv i didn't do anything much yeah i'm thinking by the time we turn 25 that's the cusp of productivity and all of a sudden we'll have side hustles too i feel like everybody in our age range has side hustles yeah or if or not like a very like deep hobby that they have yeah so yeah so that was like a really good um point you brought up because you mentioned like you do weightlifting and you got into roller derby like and that's kind mm-hmm. of like the foundation of how you started your podcast no yeah, yeah. So um, I I met my co-host Audacity through mm-hmm. Roller Derby, and they're super awesome. They are a um, they're so they're a social worker. Um, uh, that's their yes. career. They work for an NGO, um, and so they their world is very much wrapped up in like mental health. Um, uh, they spent a lot of time working with children um Mm -hmm. so like they're they 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 just spent a lot of time in a mental health world um, in multiple different capacities i started becoming more aware of my mental health within like the last like three to four years 
And it was because of the people that I've met in roller derby, um, one of them being my partner, another one being my best friend, and then another one being my co-host. It was because of all of them that I've been able to open up and, you know, take the steps of going more into my mental health and going to see my therapist on a regular basis and uh, just learning more about myself and developing better coping mechanisms and the whole nine yards. Uh, Roller Derby was a really cool place to do that because you get people from all sorts of areas of life. Like you get people who are recovering alcoholics and drug addicts and you get people who are wildly successful biochemists. You know, you have people who are graphic designers and you have people who, you know, they do X, Y, Z things that you would never have met. Um, so I always compare roller derby to this microcosm. Like it's, it's a little community of all these people that you wouldn't have met on a regular normal basis. Um, and because we spend so much time together on the track and, You kind of are forced to talk about your feelings in ways that pertain to the game and how you can focus because you rely on these people. Yeah. And because of that, you kind of are, you're forced to open up and express yourself and deal with things front and center. Because like, if you don't deal with it, it's going to affect your teammates and how you play the game and your success. Um, so roller derby has been really awesome about that. And same with weightlifting, um, Weightlifting is also a really cool microcosm where you you're also meeting people who are recovering drug addicts, recovering yeah. alcoholics. You meet people who are financial advisors and accountants and people who just train in the gym all day. But yeah. also people who are like lawyers and, you know, people that you wouldn't normally cross. And again, like you, you're not really forced to talk about your feelings so much, but you are forced to address your mental state every single day that you go lift because how you yeah. feel exactly affect what you're doing so it's both of them are really awesome communities of just learning yourself and learning about people and I I really honestly credit those two communities for being able to talk freely and openly now about like my mental health and mental health in general and I assume because you spend so much time with these people naturally you get close right oh yeah and and you guys probably hang out outside of the club or outside of the sphere that you are you're in you so yeah. you just don't do like derby together, right? So, right. You know, we we do a lot of like team bonding stuff. You know, off the there track, we are constantly talking about. We're just farting around and just having a good time. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. No, it's that's excellent. Because Josephine and I, in a previous episode, we kind of just had a, a very quick discussion about like friendships. And um, in Canada, I'm not too. I'm not sure if you know the you're familiar with like our education system, but like you mm-hmm. do like what, four four years of high school and nine to twelve, and then you do a another four years of undergrad which is i guess your your version of college but us we call it university blah 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 yeah um, yeah yeah and like once you kind of leave school you don't have that like network making adult friends is hard people in there you go yeah that's honestly um that was one of the reasons why we started the podcast was because we re- we were talking okay there's a lot of reasons but one of them was making adult friends is hard and hard. my my partner and i like would you know outside of derby um, it's hard to like have friends because derby is like, it, it consumes your whole life. Essentially. If you're not working, you're thinking or playing or hanging out with yeah, derby yeah. people and which is awesome. But like, if you want to have friends that aren't derby related, making adult friends is hard. If you don't have like yeah. an interest that consumes your life, like what do you do? Yeah. Um, so we made a podcast about, you know, all of this and yeah. we made a lot more friends and most of them are derby people. Like, there you go. That's just how the cards fell. 
Yeah. And again, like, because uh, I- I'm still in school myself. I'm in chiropractic college. And oh, that's uh, cool. Joseph- yeah, Josephine's starting uh, her master's soon. Yeah, so we're we're kind of still in that sphere of um, you know being I guess more social or like naturally you're forced to be social because you're surrounded by so many people. But, mm-hmm. but we always always ponder it's like how else do you meet people? The only way is to have some kind of not niche hobby, but like having a hobby and going out to do something. And then naturally you're gonna find people. Let's say the Derby Girls, you're gonna have of course that in common. And then naturally people who are attracted to like sports, attracted to music, attracted to arts. Mm-hmm. Like you already have some type of personality to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it works out great. Um, my partner is really into amateur geology. So she meets like all these people who are amateur geologists and she gets along so great with them. But, it, you know, she had to get into like a really weird niche to just talk to people that were in that had yeah. share that shared the same interests and adult friends are hard to make and like if you're not into going bar going to bars and going out to no. clubs yeah. it's like well what do you do and then you but develop then, yeah but then like with bars and stuff or going clubbing like how how much depth of a friendship do you have like yeah you know what I mean it's like exactly I mean I would rather let my weird my weirdo flag fly and make friends <laughs> with people who accept me for that let's yeah 100 yeah, percent. i agree with that it's like you gotta like let like once you put yourself out there whoever's crazy enough to be attracted to you will just come and they'll stick around yeah. probably and not be freaked out so josephine is that your policy when it comes to making friends yeah yeah, yeah. you so. like nowadays i mean before i guess when i was a little more immature and younger i used to think oh i need to change myself so that people would like me more or mm-hmm. you know so that I'd be, I'd have more friends because I'm another cookie cutter person with my interests are music, top 20 music, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. But now I'm just like, no, I like country. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I know. Country. <laughs> I like country, but she still loves me despite my, you know, love yes. country music. Yes. I love the color orange, which Christine hates also. But she still yeah. loves wow, you're like O for O for me. I do not <laughs> like country or the color orange. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just got my soulmate on this podcast. No, I'm kidding, man. I didn't no. know she was to be attacked. Uh, well, I mean, two against one here, so you, you speak for it. And sociopaths like orange. Because it's a very bright color, mm. and I'm the youngest child, and I need attention, so I always need... Well, there you go. You could just walk around looking like a traffic cone. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> what do I do? Okay, psychoanalysis complete. <laughs> Josephine, uh, as of right now, you're you, you. When did you start therapy again, Josephine? I, I want to say February. Mm-hmm. Yes, February was when I started earlier. Mm-hmm. I had gone to them in November, but they had like a, a wait list mm-hmm. time thing. So I actually got it in February, and uh, they were able to see me every week. Uh, it is a bit farther because I used to sit in Hamilton hamilton but then mm-hmm. uh, my contract ended so i moved back uh, so it's a bit of a drive for me but i still go every two weeks yeah um but no therapy has been like a blessing for my life there you go see so you read yeah. um in this place called hamilton it's got a little city in where we around where we live and, and we mm-hmm. yeah we went to university around hamilton Perfect. and um there's a, is it is st joseph's hospital or yeah, something yeah. yeah so like it's kind of like an outreach program is that what we're calling it and you kind of pretty much just sign up for it and then based on like the i guess the urgency of what they deem you get therapy that way yeah it's a fabulous program it's like mm-hmm. uh, they call it the youth wellness center so as long as you're between like what 18 and 25 
um, you can go there for for any reason, and it's free of charge. Yeah. How does therapy work in the states? I mean, how how's healthcare in general work in the states? <laughs> healthcare is absolute shit. Basically, everybody within my age range, so um, millennials, uh, we don't go to the doctor. Um, and actually there's a study about how we don't go to the doctor. Um, it's too expensive. Healthcare is too expensive. I mean, I'm lucky. I, I lucked out by having two jobs in a row where I don't have to pay for health insurance at all. Like my company pays for it, but Mm -hmm. that's almost completely unheard of here. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what happens is, you know, you either have, you either get health insurance through a the company or your, your workplace, mm-hmm. or you get, uh, like a, a state health insurance, which is also just not great. Your premiums are through the roof. So if you want yeah. like a decent middle of the road health insurance, you're paying $385 a month. A month. Um, yeah. And I mean, I know that I, I know that the Canadian dollar to the U S dollar is almost roughly the same. So like 385 U S dollars is almost 385 Canadian dollars a month. Um, and that doesn't cover everything. Um, you have to look for doctors that are in network. If you go out of network, uh, your premiums mm-hmm. go up, your out of pocket goes up, or yeah. you might not even be covered. And then you have to pay for everything in full. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely bonkers. Um, if I have to go to the doctor, I mean, I will go, I'm not stupid, but at the same yeah. time, if I, I can Google if I can research what's going mm-hmm. on and YouTube try to it. do it yeah. that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, WebMD is a lot better than what it was 10 years ago. If I could yeah. WebMD it um, and find out that I don't have cancer, but instead it's like something else, yeah. um, I will do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, health healthcare here is really difficult. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I've, I, like I said, I'm lucky. I am one of the lucky ones that I have health insurance and it's completely affordable in terms of, I don't have to put any money into it. I just have to pay my co-pays. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people don't have that. And so yeah. would you say, people... I, I would assume like, uh, I mean, millennials, we're all considered millennials in this room mm-hmm. here. Um, would you say like you and your friends are kind of in the same position? Like if, unless your work pays or has insurance, like people pay out of pocket, obviously, but mm-hmm. would you say people are, I guess, reluctant to go to the doctor as well? Like, do you find all your friends are Googling stuff and MDing stuff just out of necessity? Yeah. Um, so most of my friends actually take to like self-diagnosis. Um, if there you go, yeah. the things that they will do, um, ironically, and also kind of awesome is that we will go to see a therapist. We will go see a psychiatrist. We will go get the medications that we need to have like mental health. Mm-hmm. But if we, if medications are not necessary, we will not pursue it. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a lot of like self-diagnosis relying on other people. Um, there's a, there's this meme that we've been kicking around a lot lately down here in the States. And it's like, um, my therapist says, like, my therapist says this, I say that my therapist agrees. Yeah. And then we share yeah. what our therapist tells us. So yeah. people who can't afford it yeah, or don't have time because they're working absolutely bonker hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we try to share, like, we just kind of crowdsource our knowledge. Uh, crowdfunding is also a huge thing here. Yes. I have a really close friend who needed ACL surgery, but like before yeah. she can have reconstruction, 
she needed her, she had completely obliterated obliterated her ACL. So they had to go and take all of it out before mm-hmm. they can even do reconstruction. Exactly. Um, she is on a health insurance called Cobra, which has amazingly high premiums. Like the last time that I don't know what her premium coverage is, like what, how much she pays. But the last time I looked at a Cobra coverage, it was $800 a month, a month, Whoa. a month. Um, and she was afraid that she couldn't even afford it because she got laid off from her job, which means that she had to go out to state health insurance. Oh, no. And she had to turn to crowdfunding and she had to raise like $5,000 just to cover mm-hmm. like her co-pays and just pay for yeah. insurance. Yeah. I mean, she now has a job as of last week, but that's mm-hmm. that's just absurd. I mean, ACL reconstruction is like... Well, just your knee is <laughs> very, very yeah. important. It's a daily function. Yeah. And like, I'm not sure what she did for work, but like, I mean, here, because my mom, my mom recently got diagnosed with breast cancer and, mm-hmm. and you guys probably can't really relate to this at all, but like they, they took care of everything A to Z. There was one medication yeah. that we had to use my dad's work insurance, but like mm-hmm. the, the surgery to remove the lump and the yeah. chemotherapy and the radiation therapy, everything was covered. It was that's like, awesome. I, I, Is your like, mom okay now? Oh, she's she's Gucci man. Like yeah, like that's it awesome. was stage Good it was stage two. Yeah, thank you. So it was stage two. So once they removed the lump, theoretically everything was gone. Um, mm-hmm. But they still did rounds of chemo and radiation just to make sure there wasn't anything lingering. And yeah. uh, she she responded really well, like, for the most part. The only, like, major yeah, difference awesome. was, like, her, her hair loss. But hair grows back pretty quickly, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, it wasn't until that moment that I realized, like, wow, we take, in Canada at least, we take our um, healthcare system for granted sometimes. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I... I've heard stories of people who, you know, they rely on crowdfunding for insulin. Yeah, you know, which is like, a necessity. Yeah, like these people need it. Millennials and boomers have this like hate hate relationship where like they vehemently hate us and we vehemently hate them, and for a lot of good reasons. Yeah. But like, there's a good subsection of boomers that are getting fucked over by everybody else. And yeah. they can't afford to go get cancer treatment. They can't afford, they, they can't stop working because they weren't able to buy into the system of, you know, social security and like, yeah. sure, they can eventually get Medicare, but they can't afford mm-hmm. to live off of their pension, yeah. you know, like, and I think like as a whole systemically, this nation just sucks at taking care of people if you're not yeah. white upper class. Yeah. That's my hill to die on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, Rex, Canada, you know, you should come up here sometime, just saying. <laughs> we have a lot of issues, too. Mostly yeah. Can we... The indigenous population. Yeah. How we can say that we're very privileged, but there's some people in the same country who are not as privileged. Yeah. 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 No, and I, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, Canada is a lot better on a lot of different issues and a lot of different ways. Yeah. But... The, it, this is a case of like the grass is always greener because like mm. as a whole like United States is a, a pretty okay place to live for a lot of different reasons it's a pretty, mm-hmm. pretty shit place to live for a lot of yeah. different reasons too yeah. if you're indigenous Canada is not the place to be if you're no. Muslim a government position like being a teacher you can't wear your hijab you can't wear your headscarf you know we can't we can't change and we can't adapt to like the rest of the world yeah we're trying to hold on to this idea of like if you're not white 
no, we can't accept you. And it's just like, get the fuck over yourselves. And I'm saying this, like, I'm, I'm a white person. And mm-hmm. I'm saying this, like, we need to get the fuck over ourselves. Uh, we're, I'm Vietnamese and Josephine is Indonesian. So, <laughs> I mean, but we're also very fortunate because we live in a very multicultural um, I guess community city even so even though I don't know because I, I was having a conversation about like more recently with my friend about like p- people who are white passing mm. she exclusively speaks for her native language at home but like people looking at her just thinks she's a white person and like yeah. she she's starting to become more aware aware of her white privilege with me I don't have any I, I never really dealt with racism I don't know about you Josephine micro microaggression is the is a thing. I think I, I started to notice it more when I was working last year. Okay. Because um, I had a white passing assistant mm-hmm. and we, you know, went to meetings together and people always just addressed her and thought I was the assistant. Oh. And I'm like, oh, okay, like, I guess this is it. Even though I've introduced it, she's, she's very aware of it and I'm very grateful for that because she's always introduced herself as like Sarah, the assistant. Yeah. And she always made it clear and she, you know, she tries to give me the space. sphere of you being a woman than another sphere of you being a minority yeah. I, I just as an asian woman sometimes i think there's some kind of weird fetish when it comes to men oh, yeah. as well yeah. oh yeah because yeah. you're like uh, exotic exotic thank you i was gonna say yeah. unique, and i was like that's I've, not the right word i've literally been said uh, so i know some guy when i date was like yeah you're really exotic looking i'm like i just have black hair i, I don't think i'm that weird looking but exactly. yeah Oh, yeah, that would be a really good topic. Yeah. yeah. Well, my brother, um, his wife is Filipino. Okay. And he he's dated a Vietnamese, Portuguese, and a Korean-Hungarian. So, like, Unreal. her, yeah, like, her, like, one parent was from Hungary, and one parent was from Korea, one parent... Uh, the other one was like one parent was from Brazil and mm. one parent was from Vietnam. Wow. But like I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily call it a fetish. Like my brother and I were raised to be kind of more multicultural than a lot of other people. Like my best yeah. friend growing up was Chinese Puerto Rican. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just because like I I don't know if any of you if either of you two can identify like with it but being a child of an immigrant you tend to fall in line with other people who are children of immigrants yeah we had a whole Um, episode about that yeah so like um my one best friend her dad was from ireland my other best friend her mom was from china her dad was half puerto rican half chinese um uh in college one of my best friends like she uh both her parents were from the philippines um and like my friends always tended to have at least one parent that was an immigrant. 
uh, mm-hmm. for a very long time. Um, yeah. And then like in, in my school district, I had a lot of Ukrainians, a lot of Polish immigrants themselves. So like, I just kind of always fall in line with like, you're either an immigrant or you're a child of an immigrant. And that's kind of how like my brother, like, we grew up in like this multicultural yeah. family of like, you know, we're just good. All of our friends were, had at least like one parent that was an immigrant, you know? So him to date somebody who was Asian was like, well, you know, growing up, we had so many Asian friends. Like it, I went to Chinese school for a semester when I was like 12 yeah. years old. Like it, what the hell? It, yeah. Like it, it's not that they were exotic. It's just that they, these were the people that we just grew up with and fell in line yeah. with, you know, I mean, but I see so yeah. many people like, no, there's this fetishization and there definitely is yeah. 100%. Yeah. And like when it comes to dating, too, I think um, because the previous person I was dating was a Canadian, 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 like, Mm -hmm. you know, of of the of the pine tree, you know, evergreens like from the ground, like like his uh, his like roots was like kind of further back to German. And and I is yikes. I don't remember. That's how insignificant that was Um, (laughs) um, as an immigrant or a child of an immigrant. There's so many unsaid things yeah. you know mm-hmm. like like things that i would say and he doesn't really relate to because i'm like didn't your parents like do that like didn't didn't your parents beat you with a slipper <laughs> um, yeah like or like or like through, something weird growing up yeah and or, like and especially when it comes to like, morals and like work ethic and and yeah mm-hmm. like i think like my as asian immigrants my parents came here with literally not that much money in their pocket and they they kind of started from the bottom and then they kind of built themselves up and that's like a very unique kind of work ethic i think and it just naturally that kind of translated to me like i just know growing up things weren't that easy to get and now i'm aware of that at least i'm privileged now because like i'm like you know they kind of set things up pretty well for a family Mm -hmm. but like at the same time it's something i think about all the time sure like just surrounding yourself with people who has who have diff, like who have similar similar outlook in life basically and I think you've covered most of it like the work ethics and the the morals and things like that like that's something that's very important to me and what, whatever relationship I make whether it's friendship or with a significant other like that's the core that's the core of it all yeah. right just having similar values and it's something to consider as well because you're literally going to be going through life and if you have different ways of dealing with things different background as well it'll, it's kind of more difficult to relate to make decisions I feel like a lot of immigrants and children of immigrants like we there's so many things that can be different between you know Vietnam and Italy and Brazil and I mean, Korea, let's say, mm-hmm. or Indonesia. But at the end of the day, like, there's some sort of connecting factor of, like, well, you're either an immigrant or you're a child of an immigrant. And for some mm-hmm. reason, that's, like, a really binding relationship. Yeah. It kind of keeps people together. And it almost kind of puts you into, like, I don't want to say survival mode, but it's, it you kind of stay together because you all kind of understand similar ideas or, yeah. like, you kind of all gone through similar things or similar childhoods yeah so like staying together is kind of like a preservation of like this is what you went through and it validates your experience and it's it's nice to have people who can understand no i fully agree that that, that was very well said yes (laughs) yeah and uh hold on wait one second i just i realized we have a list of questions but it's okay we (laughs) can 
we kind of indirectly hit stuff and that, that was yeah. a very good tangent for some reason i did know you were italian because i mm-hmm. creeped one of the episodes i'm like oh cool like rags is italian too um to my knowledge i don't know if you want to talk about it are you recently engaged yes yeah, so um we my partner and i it will be almost a year uh um, it's coming up september i think it's like september 10th Congrats. Um, we thank you. We went up to Burlington, Vermont, and got engaged up there um, uh-huh. last September, um, and it was it was a whirlwind. Um, there was a lot of perspectives and personalities and attitudes that we had to take into consideration, um, along with like our own mental health and the best way to do it for us. Like, we're talking about um, family. Yeah, like family, but also just like the two of us. Like my partner made it clear that she did not want me to get down on one knee. You know, like, please don't do that. That makes me wildly uncomfortable. So like I had to get creative and Mm -hmm. like, but also like respect her and her needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like, well, how are we going to tell her family? Are we going to tell her family? Are we going to tell her family beforehand and deal with like, the anger and the disappointment and the shame or whatever person, whatever like attitudes come beforehand, or are we going to deal with it after? Like, are we going to basically, it was a, do we want to be unhappy twice or do we want to be unhappy once? Because unhappy Mm -hmm. twice means you tell them before and then you tell them as it, after it happens or just tell them after it happens and just deal with unhappiness. But like Uh. one of them has a buildup and like they're able to prepare. And one of them is just blindside them. Um, We decided to blindside them. Yeah. We got like some toned down mixed reactions, but okay. I mean, things are coming around. People are getting better about it. Um, yeah. so are you guys out to your family? Is that why? Yeah, or? we're we're completely out to our family. Okay. Um, we're completely out to like our immediate community. Yeah. Um, we're the kind of people who we will we will embrace being uncomfortable and hold hands if we if we felt at least like slightly safe about it if we felt if we feel safe about it but people are like you know looking at us and staring Mm -hmm. at us we're gonna hold hands because like go fuck your bigotry we're gonna hold hands um (laughs) but like we we judge where we are like we discuss it as we're walking through and like we are kind of the people that like to step on other people's toes to get them to like realize that yeah being cis white heterosexual is not the only way to live your life yeah um but yeah it was it was an experience. I'm so happy. I will. I'm so happy to eventually get to marry her. Um, we don't have any yeah. wedding plans in the works right now. Yeah. Um, we're just kind of enjoying our time together. But yeah, we we don't want to rub our sexuality in people's faces. Like we're yeah. we're not a very big PDA couple. Yeah. However, I will hold hands with her. I will yeah. definitely smack her butt in public. And <laughs> if you don't like it, you can fuck off. But yeah. also, again, judging the relative safety of it. If people exactly. are just going to stare, then fine. Exactly. I've yeah. called people out for staring. Really? And yeah. I mean, luckily, nobody has gotten physical. But yeah, I mean, because I uh, in Toronto, for the most part, even like around our university area, like McMaster, our university itself, like Mm -hmm. in in Mississauga, the the city we live in, like it for the most part, like I personally haven't had any issues with it. And but it's also a very relative thing, right? Like in Toronto, 
I'm I'm hyper cognizant that it's safe. But uh, I went to Cal. Do you know where Calgary is, Rags? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we went to Calgary, Alberta, and my girlfriend and I went more recently, and um, uh, we were kind of told beforehand that it's not Toronto. You know, it's like Calgary's Calgary, but it's also a lot of like I guess not a bigotry, but it's not it's not as progressive as it is Toronto. So when we were there, it's it's kind of crazy how you automatically like adjust and like I'd be a little bit more hesitant to hold her hand or so on and so on. We ended up not having any problems because there are like little pride flags like every other storefront. So we're like, okay, it's awesome. okay. Yeah, but I mean, it's, I think what people were talking about beforehand was about the tourism. Like like the locals there are probably okay with everything, but the yeah. tourists and stuff, right, from like literally all over the world. So. We, we do strike this delicate balance of when it's acceptable, when it's okay. I mean, it's never going to be acceptable when it's safe. I think that's a better terminology of like, if it's safe, do it. If yeah. it's not safe, don't do it. I mean, yeah. we literally were called bottom feeders at one point for holding oh, hands. Come on. Yeah. Where was this? Um, so this was in, yeah, this was in Morristown, New Jersey. Morristown is like this cute little... Um, it's this cute little town. It's like really super artsy, artsy fartsy, and like craftsy and everything. Yep. Um, and we they were having this festival called Morristown in the Green, and we were skating around holding hands. And somebody called us bottom feeders, and Chrissy was the one who called the person out. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear it, so I didn't call them yeah. out. But mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, one of us usually calls somebody out and I'm starting to get a little more ballsy of like, yeah, go ahead. Keep staring. Like yeah. you want to keep staring. Cool. Yeah. You know, and just like start narrating what's happening yeah. out loud, yeah. really loud. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think also I am just kind of at that stage where I'm just going to be this chaotic force of good of like, go fuck yeah. yourself in your bigotry yeah. across the yeah. board. Like if Thing and I don't like it and it's not necessarily pertaining to me and mm-hmm. what you're doing is just mm-hmm. like morally outrageous and disgusting I'm going to call you out on it <laughs> I'm like going through a midlife crisis at 27 where I just can't <laughs> deal with how prejudiced people you know, are it's um it's uh and you go through life and like this is so, my theory with life like the reason yeah. why you get all wrinkly and weak is because the world scratches at you throughout your life Mm -hmm. and your patience is tested your patience is tested you get you get you get hit you get hit but at some point i mean at 20 27 like i think you're pretty firm about who you are and what you stand for and what you what you will tolerate what you'll not tolerate so Mm -hmm. i mean it's probably a good thing that you guys you guys speak up about it right Mm -hmm. so well i mean and it's i think like the the political state of the united states right now is kind of like contributing to it because for some reason people are thinking that it's more okay to be more apparent with their prejudice and racism and bigotry and their bullshit and you know like there's this like the saying of it like it's not enough to be and it's not enough to be not racist or it's not enough to be not be a bigot like you Mm -hmm. actually actively have to take a platform and take it and stand on it and true um i'm actively like getting to that point where like if you don't feel comfortable saying something tell me I will say something and this isn't like I'm I'm normally like I'm normally non-confrontational I'm normally like not meek but like I don't usually say a lot like it takes a lot for me to stand up for myself but I'll be damned I'm going to stand up for somebody who needs it at that moment and 
honestly, I think like having the podcast has helped. I kind of grow backbone within the last two years. And I'm, I'm at the stage where if I, if I see somebody who needs it, like if I see somebody like talking, you know, down on somebody and being racist, I'm going to step in and say like, dude, that's not okay. Go fuck off. Or, you know, if somebody's going to be a turf, I'm going to go over and be like, dude, this isn't fucking okay. Go away. Yeah. You know, fuck right off. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's not enough to personally stand for it. It's, it's at the stage where, you know, make racists afraid again. Yeah. (laughs) You know, make bigots afraid again. Yeah. Yeah. And And I, I I get very conflicted because I'm not just, I don't know about you, but I'm not much of a confront. I'm not a confrontational person. And there, there hasn't been many like, situations in my life where like I kind of had to like beef up a little bit and stand for myself. But like I'm starting to realize now, like with, even with little things, like uh, when it comes to um, like changes in policy and stuff, it's like I think it's it's not just good enough to be like plateauing. You have to be actively pushing as well right, for whatever right. it is. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like things with racism and sexism, like that's that's something that has to continuously continue to be pushed. Right, one hundred percent. And there was a study that Glad did, G G L A D Glad did, um, about how the younger generations are less supporting of the LGBTQI plus community, um, and that just like completely boggles my mind. And it it serves as a reminder of like, we cannot become complacent. We can't become complacent in defending our sexuality and gender. We cannot come become uh, complacent in, you know, defending people who are different shades of color Mm -hmm. than we are. We -hmm. can't become complacent across the board because there are people who be, who are marginalized Mm -hmm. that are Mm -hmm. going to be killed for it and they're being killed for it. And if you have the privilege and the safety to do it, step up and speak out because if you aren't speaking out, if you are quiet, you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I only had to like, I only had one very like standout experience of having to call someone out. Like basically me and my sisters were just walking around and we're, we're very close. Like we hold hands a lot and whatnot. And he literally like looked at us and was just like, why are you guys holding hands? That's mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, no, that's and she, I, don't, I don't know what he said because this was like a long time ago but I was like why would it be weird and I just questioned him and yeah. he just didn't know what to say so he just walked away it was, it was some random guy off the street yeah oh yeah and I know yeah. I get a lot of weird looks just both like holding my sister's hands and everything y'all sisters shit yeah and there's like no issue yeah but I think it's also maybe because of the way she dresses as well she's a little more tomboyish mm. so I don't know people just like look at us weirdly okay so do they just they assume you're dating or some shit that's really weird that's and it's also just like really annoying yeah if i I see if i catch them i'll like stare back yeah of course yeah 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 that's like that's uh one thing so i I actually like there's two things that i've been working on personally and the Mm -hmm. first one is Mm -hmm. if somebody's staring at me stare back like don't turn around in discomfort because yeah then that fucker wins yeah (laughs) the fucker wins don't let the fuckers win um okay and then i'm i'm bad with eye contact y'all so you guys are really i'm gonna work on this too 
Yeah. And then the second one that I've been working on is when I am walking on the sidewalk, Yeah, I do not get out of the way for, some, for a man. Mm. I don't move. I keep walking. Yeah. And if you have to dive yourself out of the way, if you bump <laughs> into me, that's your problem. I'm not moving. Now, I'm going to put like a little asterisk here yeah. because... Um, I know in the United States, at least, there's a lot of, like, people of color and black people who, you know, they, they like, they are, they have it in their head of, like, avoid, avoid, avoid. So they move out of the way. For them, mm. I move first. Okay, I get yeah. out of their way. I will yeah. go. I will take a different path. I will move around them. Because while I want to make everybody uncomfortable, there's definitely a group of people that like they've already been made uncomfortable. Why can't yeah. we change what we do to make them more, you know, feel more accepted and like just yeah. be noticed, just recognize them, just notice yeah. that there's people in your path and move around yeah. them. But like, yeah. And I mean, I don't want to fall culprit and I have to catch myself, you know, sometimes being like, don't move. And like, no, you need to move. Like they yeah. should not be moving out of the way for you because for all their lives, they've done that. Yeah. And it's really weird because being a white person i like i am trying to do better but sometimes i feel like i get onto the soapbox and then i forget to hand over the mic you know or True. do whatever and i that like it goes back to the podcast like the podcast is us handing over the mic to people and talking because like i can do mm -hmm. everything in my power as a white person mm -hmm. but at a certain point i need to shut up and either do the work Mm -hmm. or hand it over because sometimes somebody else needs to talk yeah and sometimes somebody else needs to be recognized and acknowledged yeah Again, so like I'm just, I'm just gonna keep validating what you're doing <laughs> in life but like yeah like it takes that's a kudos to you because that takes like definitely a high order brain function to even be cognizant of that something something as simple as like walking down a hallway or like walking down the street mm -hmm. like yeah. that's all right on a bus there's so many little situations and nuances in life where you were like i don't want to say race but the way you appear and present to the world is a huge factor of how right. the world responds to you right yeah. and like you know going back to what josephine was saying about microaggressions like me not moving out of the way for a black man is like in itself a microaggression because he has been forced to move out of the way every single time Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Why, why can't I move out of my way just once? Like, why can't I suck up my pride and just move? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. or people with disabilities, like they are already forced to go. You know, if you're if you are in a wheelchair, you're already forced to yeah. take so many different routes. Like, why yeah. don't why I just move for you? Yeah, you know. Welcome to the hydration break, the place where we tell you to rate comment and subscribe to our podcast and on it on any of the platforms yes follow us join the cult <laughs> <laughs> the drinking cult the, no we don't endorse we call it hydration break mm. but is drinking alcohol still a form of hydration okay i meant drinking and like drinking water oh yikes and drinking tea well, why did i just assume alcohol that's what i'm saying we're going to cut it off here. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree. It's, And I have to honestly say, though, that a lot of this, like the reason why I can talk about this and like enact on it is because 
I put myself in a position of discomfort to learn this, to let people tell me where I was wrong, to educate myself, to read a lot of literature and a lot of blogs and watch videos. And this is, this is one of the reasons why I am now in the stage of like, um, I don't want to say like call outing, calling people out because I think call out Mm -hmm. culture to a certain extent is bullshit. But if I can Mm -hmm. call you out, Mm -hmm. if I can call you out, I'm going to. Yeah. Um, because I learned from talking to people, from reading, from being called out. And I think, I don't think we, we don't grow as a species until we're uncomfortable. Yeah. Or, or until we're ashamed of something. Right. Like, like we, with, we just don't. Yeah. Yeah. With me, like, I, I can't remember, wait, trust me, did you call me out at any point in life? I don't know. Like, probably you probably call me, call me on a daily <laughs> basis. But um, yeah, like one of my friends, uh, she she knows like, uh, the whole the whole gender identities. Like I'm not that educated in that realm of things. But mm-hmm. I think I said I made a comment about something, but I, I wasn't about pronouns. It was something on the lines. Of, let's just say that it was about pronouns. Was it like mm-hmm. Identifying things. Yeah, like you called me on the podcast. What the what the hell did I say? I said some bullshit. No, and I think it's just like male <laughs> women and all women identifying just. Yeah, and here I am, just just a loser. I'm like, oh shit, and then like, I'm, oh yes, you're totally right. But yeah, it's not mm-hmm. until that that or like you, because the I think the way the human brain works is you 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 get triggered by like, experiences in the past. Mm-hmm. So right. now for next time when I I, I I the goal is to catch myself saying stupid something stupid, or at least you have a reference point that's saying that okay maybe that wasn't the best thing to say, mm-hmm. or yeah. the most correct thing to say rather. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's something I think we all need to be very cognizant of those things. Yeah. yeah. And I think, honestly, like we need to embrace being uncomfortable, you know, yeah. using a they them pronoun can be uncomfortable for so many reasons. But I think our discomfort in trying to re- reframe our vocabulary and our grammar is not nearly it's not even on the same level as somebody's discomfort of trying to navigate their pronouns exactly. and the world of being non-binary yeah. or yeah. you know gender non-conforming and yeah. i think that we all grow from being uncomfortable but there there there's like a spectrum of discomfort and you get to the point where you're so uncomfortable you don't change mm-hmm. or you're too like you're you're not that uncomfortable so you're not going to change so you have to mm-hmm. kind of work to this delicate balance of i'm uncomfortable enough that i'm going to change yeah. but you you can't you can't force people to change either. So like you need to, you need to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. a really good point. I, I remember um, in like third or fourth year or like in our university, we have like that welcome week thing. The first like frosh. Yeah. Yeah. Like the frosh week where you welcome in the first years and our leader at that year um, kind of made us try to get into the habit of saying our pronouns after we introduce ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get everyone comfortable just so that people, who have like preferences can let us know and like feel like it's a safe enough space that they can let us know. Yeah. So after yeah. that, after that, I feel like I've tried to make it a habit of doing that wherever I go. Yeah. So like in my workplace last year, whenever I met someone new, whether it was like a coworker or something, I'd be like, "Hi, my name is Josephine. My pronouns are she and her." Yeah. Things like that, and I, it's just like something I really try to do for every presentation, for every. Like whenever I was on a public platform, yeah, I wanted to like normalize that as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And yeah. sure enough, once I, you know, once you start to normalize it, like the people around you start following that, right? Yeah, they start to pick up on it. They start to also be able to see their pronouns as well. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. I think it's just really important to create that safe space yeah. for them. And our, our university, McMaster itself, like big kudos because they were very, very good with those things. It wasn't just like during Frosh Week. Like, and we're certain like school events, like, they would make that a, a kind of like a, a habit as well. It's a, it's, it's interesting. I actually, um, I'm trying to look something up right now. Um, so when I was in college, I studied uh, philosophy and I can't remember a philosopher who talked about this, but basically, basically there's a thesis, right? And thesis is like the current present ideal, the ideology of the day. And then antithesis, an opposing ideology, and they sort themselves out. And then there becomes a new thesis. So thesis, antithesis, antithesis new thesis. Oh. And like, yeah. So it's, it's a really way to frame like this thing because like your thesis, you're only cisgender, right? Like everybody around you, is, that's the safest thing to assume, right? Mm-hmm. Antithesis, not everybody around you is cisgender. That's not the safest thing to assume. You are basically everybody together we're not all like we're not homogenized we're not a monolith it's it's funny how time changes um and how current ideologies are always in flux um mm-hmm. for Merck's signature i put she her after my signature i'm the only one yeah in my i noticed that. yeah we yeah. all noticed that yeah yeah um i started doing that because my co-host is non-binary so to make them more comfortable i started putting my pronouns because if they're gonna put their pronouns i am going to put my pronouns because i want them to know that i recognize them i acknowledge them i stand with them they're getting their pronouns for their their derby helmet i asked for my pronouns to be on my derby helmet because i want to be there in solidarity and Mm -hmm. are still a lot of there's regression of like people not respecting their pronouns and constantly mispronouncing my so every single time they are aggressively mispronounced with their permission i aggressively pronoun them because there needs to be an antithesis because otherwise things do not change yeah so that's like your philosophy we, lesson for the day. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, Josephine actually took philosophy a yeah, lot. Of, you, you took a lot of philosophy courses. I did, yeah, because I was in religious studies. Yes, you were. Um, oh, cool. Undergrad. Yeah. Um, I also had a psychology minor. Exactly. Minor thing. Yeah. So I'm actually pursuing that for my master's. It's in spiritual care and psychotherapy. Because I, I grew up religiously, religious, mm-hmm. religious family, basically. And I know sometimes it can be hard to consolidate those two things, like religion and mental health. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm not, I don't practice my religion now, it's still something I can empathize with, especially with like you nowadays, especially those who are raised in that very like rigid religion stru- religious structure. So it's something I like. But I took a lot of philosophy course. When you said antithesis, I was like, oh my gosh. Flashback to me in like second year calling it antithesis. <laughs> I thought it was an- I personally thought it was antithesis because it's spelled that way. Right? And then my yeah. Like, it's antithesis. And I'm like, oh my god. Called out. And you remember for the rest of your life. Uh, <laughs> antithesis, yeah. There you go. Was there anything else you wanted to ask, Regs? Yeah, um, at least for me, from like a healthcare standpoint, I was very curious if you're willing to talk about it. Because the reason why I found you, because I, I listened to the, the Hannah Witten episode you guys had, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like I, I've been messaging you. I'm like, how'd you like 
how'd you get time for Hannah Whitson or how'd you reach out to her? And for those of you who don't know who listens to this podcast, she's like this English YouTuber. She's English, right, Riggs? Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. yeah she's English YouTuber. Uh, I stumbled up upon her video just kind of, I think out of like uh, your recommendations or, you know, and she's a big advocate for sexuality and like mental, mental illness and a chronic illness. And mm-hmm. she's just like a really awesome human being. And she's kind of a force on YouTube for yeah. our community that I think, like mental health, yeah, just like yeah, Instagrammers and blogs about it, but like for chronic chronic illness, I don't think that's a that's a thing. She kind of was kind of not, I don't want to say a trailblazer, but she's big to start, and she's been around YouTube for a while now, right? Yeah, she's so, been around for quite some time. Yeah, she's yeah. she's awesome. Um, I don't know how we got her on, but put in some legwork for this. Um, so I so what happens is Odd and I split it up. So yeah. like. I have one person that I chase after. Odd has another person who they chase after, and that's kind of what yeah. we do. So I don't, I don't know how they got Hannah to agree, but I'm super glad that they did because Hannah was just a delight. Like she's super easy to talk to. She's yeah. so cool. Yeah. And um, and I guess from there, because I think uh, I think Odd. Hold on, I creeped this at some point. <laughs> Um, isn't odd was it was odd diagnosed with a chronic illness? Uh, yeah, so both odd and I have um a, a whole slew of like mental illnesses. Um, odd if you're willing to talk about a, it, yeah. Um, so I'm not going to speak on odd's behalf, um, just because yeah. I think that's kind of inappropriate. Um, so <clears throat> I have OCD, um. Which is actually, so when I joked about, like, I might have ADHD, it actually is um, OCD presenting itself. I mm-hmm. have to constantly keep moving, so it looks like ADHD on the surface. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, basically, my OCD doesn't manifest of, like, keeping things in a specific order. It mm-hmm. manifests in this obsessive need to constantly do stuff. And if I don't do it, it's not that the world is going to fall apart, but I'm going to continue to obsess over it until I do it. Um, yeah. So it's it's not it's not your movie or you know cinematic OCD. It's yeah. not as life disrupting, but it can get pretty disruptive. Um, it it does sometimes put a stress on my personal relationships because I'm it sometimes it means that I'm not always physically or mentally present because I'm trying yeah. to not do something or do something. Yeah. Um, and then I have depression, I have generalized anxiety disorder, um, and I have non-epileptic seizures, which is fun. Um, basically, it's a panic disorder. Uh, mm-hmm. My body doesn't know what to do with this, the buildup of adrenaline. And at a certain point, I just ha- it presents itself as a seizure. There's nothing medically wrong. I, like, there's, there's no neurons misfiring. There's nothing right. that's happening in my brain that is life-threatening. Um, I just I start to shake. I start to hyperventilate. I, it, it's basically a panic attack in which my body seizes up. Yeah. Um, and then on top of all that, I have, um, I have chronic migraines. So I've had mm-hmm. a migraine every single day of my life since I was 16 years old. Wow. Yeah. And that's like everything with the migraines are all comorbid. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have like severe neuropathy. So when not severe, actually, I just have neuropathy. Um, okay. So when I have a really bad migraine, I start to lose feeling on my right side of the body. It could be anywhere from just like things tingling, my fingers tingling to, I can just whack my hand against the wall and not feel it. Wow. Um, 
I can have like pretty bad aphasia to the point of I can't speak at all. Um, and for those who don't know, aphasia is when you know what you want to say. It's right there on the tip of your tongue. But you speak. will say everything that is not that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's really obnoxious and annoying. So, yeah. like, I had to learn to, like, just point um, or, like, I just go isolate myself in a dark room with an ice pack or go get high. Whatever. Whichever. Okay. Yes, at the moment. Well, um, I'm not going to lie. As a, as a chiropractor, all these things are just very, very interesting to begin with. But... Um, <laughs> But that's a, also a very, I want to say, unique combination yeah. of, I guess, I don't want to call it conditions, but a situation that you got going on. And yeah. what was your, like, journey? Because uh, I, I had this conversation early in the day with somebody, too. It's like how ADHD or ADD, like those kind of things, they present differently between uh, boys and girls. So yes. a lot of yep. times, like, females with, like, ADHD or those kind of deficits, um, it does, they get missed. They don't, they don't get diagnosed until later in life. Yeah. And they'll struggle right. through school for X amount of years before they're like, oh, shoot, maybe I'm not just crazy or, like, Maybe maybe as a girl, I'm not quiet. It's just I have ADHD or something like that. Yeah, yeah. High functioning, yeah. So what was your personal journey with that? Like, And I assume like with the, I guess the epilepsy, that's like, that's kind of, they diagnose you with that, I assume. But like, what was your journey? Um, so when I was 16, I remember walking through high school and now my high school was massive. Um, my graduating class alone, the people who walked at my graduation was 632 kids. And that's not, oh. that's just a number of people who walked. Um, so I went to this massive high school. So it was always loud and packed. Yeah. Um, but I remember I would just be walking through the hallway and somebody would slam the locker shut and it would sound, it would just be so jarring. Um, and I just noticed that my hearing, my eyes, they started to get a lot more sensitive. So okay. very much um, phonophobic and photophobic. Yep. Um, and I was talking to a teacher who happened to be my coach and she's like, you know, I'm, I'm noticing that you are acting differently. You're behaving, you know, you, you're much more subdued. Is everything okay? And I was like, everything is so loud and overstimulating and I don't know what's wrong. And I basically just want to cry all the time and hide in a corner. And mm. she's like, I think you really need to go see a doctor. Mm -hmm. So I went home. I spoke to my mom. My mom's a nurse. Um, oh, wow. she, agreed yes. that, Excellent. she agreed that we should go see a doctor. Um, it turns out my mom also has migraines, just not nearly as bad as myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and we went to go see a doctor and the doctor really didn't think anything of it. They thought it, he thought it was a sinus infection. So he prescribed me stupid caffeine pills and that did nothing to make me better. Um, and mm. at that stage I was just like, you know what? I don't feel like arguing with a doctor. We tried to see if it was a sinus infection. It wasn't, but you know, let's just play along because I'm 16. I'm a, I'm a girl. Like I don't argue with medical staff, you know? Yeah. Um, fast forward to a few years later in college, my mom's like, if you want to see a neurologist, you need to get a referral. And since you're up in school, go to your school doctor and get a referral. So, yeah. um, I spoke to the physician at school, he told me that I had the flu. I told him that he's dead <laughs> wrong. And he's like, your symptoms all present as the flu. And I what? said, you're wrong. Give me um, a referral to go see a neurologist. And he's like, I'm not giving you a referral. And I said, this is bullshit. Give me a referral. And finally he yeah. gave it to me. Wow. Um, yeah, he was so stupid. Um, 
And I'm really like proud that I advocated for myself on that stage because like I was, I don't know, I was like 18 at the time. Yeah. And that's, Um, this was kind of like a tangent, not a tangent, but we kind of address this now because you brought it up before I even thought about it. But like, um, like the idea of being a self advocate for yourself, because a lot of things like, uh, one of my friends also has Crohn's disease and, um, uh, she, I mean, she's like, she, she's like, I met her in like high school. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure how early on that they caught it, but it wasn't until later in life that the, the doctor said like, you have Crohn's disease. You just, you're, you're not just continuously bloated. Like, oh, you're bloated because you're in your period or like whatever. whatever <laughs> you know what I mean, like, it, like, I think her family and her had to really advocate for that. I think until mm-hmm. she got the correct diagnosis and the correct treatment plan that she needed. Right. Yeah. So did you, did you find you had to do that for yourself too? Uh, yeah, so, um, it took some time. Uh, so over the course of a number of years, I've, I failed about nine different medications and I've seen like, I've seen three neurologists, two headache specialists, um, an acupuncturist. I see a chiropractor at least once a month because I already do so many sports. So it just kind of helps. Um, And so like, I've, I've been around the block. I, I actually, the last medication that I took was Cymbalta. And for those who don't know, Cymbalta is a really heavy duty antidepressant, um, because they don't have, uh, up until like a year and a half ago, they don't have a migraine specific treatment. Mm-hmm. So you would either take like, um, an antidepressant an anti-anxiety and anti-seizure or yeah. a beta blocker. Okay. Um, and it was just stupid. Um, so I took Cymbalta and legally in the United States, you can either, you cannot prescribe past 60 milligrams. So that's either two 30 milligrams or one 60 milligram. Mm-hmm. Um, I was prescribed the highest legal dosage and it wasn't working. I was sick to my stomach. Um, I couldn't function. Mm-hmm. And I wait, I waited like a few weeks to like make sure that, you know, it just wasn't me. Like, cause you, you have to give it a grace period to kick in. Yeah. And I called my neurologist and I was like, this is not working. And she's like, well, get off it then. Like, just stop doing it. And everybody around me was like, do not stop doing it. Like, whatever you do, fight for yourself and get a plan to wean yourself off. And she came back to me with a plan, but the weaning process was two weeks. It crashed my whole system. Um, And... Like I, I, I didn't know at the time that it was going to crash my system. It crashed my system. It was so bad. I was so out of it for so many weeks, for so many months. Um, so did you have to, um, I don't know if you had to take time off work or kind of modify your work schedule? Like what was that um, like? My, so luckily for me, my manager was pretty chill and mm-hmm. I already had like a really rough year. I like, I lost both my grandparents in a span of like four days, um, And so like, she knew that like, I was just kind of having this really bad rough patch. Um, so she, she was completely understanding. I told her, I was like, look, I'm coming off a medication. If I seem like I'm different, if I just like seem like I'm dying, just take it with a grain of salt and like, please just be patient. Like I want to be here, but I don't know how I can handle it. Um, there was definitely a few times where I had to leave work early during this time period, but my, my manager was super awesome about it and she worked around it with me. Um, I didn't really have to, yeah, I didn't really have to miss a lot of time, but I mean, I was really fortunate with that. I know a lot of people don't have that same experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, 
it was a lot of medications. Uh, man, I've tried some really bad medications. There was one that I tried that was brand new. I was in college at the time and, um, I went to go sit in my friend's office, um, cause mm-hmm. she was a uh, part of the faculty and I went to go sit in her office and I was like, look, I'm going to try this new medication, but I don't want to be alone because I've had such really bad, uh, like adverse effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took it and then like 10 minutes later, I just felt like there was this giant boulder that just like plopped itself in my lap and I could hear people talking to me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't respond. Like I couldn't move to respond. Um, so it's just been one medication after another. I fired so many doctors because like, I have had doctors, um, misdiagnose me. I've had doctors not take me seriously. I've had doctors Mm -hmm. who wanted to prescribe me the whole gambit of drugs. And then finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get my medical cannabis permit. And I did. And yep. that doctor was super awesome. We've talked, we talked about it. We went through everything. We went through my whole medical history and she's like, you know, I think this is, you know, if you didn't try all these drugs, it would be really hard to advocate for you, but because you've tried so many with no effect, yeah. um, we, we can definitely get this. So she got me approved. I got medical marijuana. And mm-hmm. ever since then, like, like I should probably go see a doctor, but like, honestly, yeah. I'm so sick of neurologists. I'm so sick of people looking at me with this pity because they can't help me or there's no yeah. way to help me. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, why go, you know, why am I going to go spend all this money to go see a doctor and all this money on drugs when I can just stay at home and get high, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Is that like, I mean, with, with like the medical marijuana itself, like how does it help you? Do you find? Um, so uh, I actually had to take like this really, um, it was like an hour long tutorial by a pharmacist that prescribes and doles yes. out medical marijuana in New York yeah. state. And they sat me down and they explained like the whole thing to me. And I had to understand the differences between THC and CBD. And Mm -hmm. in New York state, there's five different types. So you can either have the highest CBD, lowest THC, high CBD, um, lower THC. And then you have one that's even CBD to THC. And then it splits to higher THC, lower CBD, highest THC, lowest Mm -hmm. CBD. Yeah. Um, And then, so THC is the thing that kills the pain. It's also the thing that makes you high and gives you the munchies. Yeah. But it's the thing that completely kills your pain. CBD is what relaxes you. It's really great for people with anxiety. It doesn't give you the munchies. It doesn't get you high. Yeah. um, But it doesn't kill pain. It relaxes you. Mm -hmm. So um, we found that I need a higher THC because my pain can be really bad. Bad, yeah. Um, And so... Uh, we use a vape pen and it's more immediate. I do have pills if I can like hold out for two hours. Yeah. If I, if I know that like I'm in for a very long migraine, I will take a pill. It takes about two hours to kick in, but then Mm -hmm. it lasts six to eight hours. Yeah. Um, but usually the vape is pretty awesome because as quick as the migraine comes on, I can react by having, you know, a solution right up front that kicks in just as fast. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, um, would you, I don't know anything about your medical history, obviously, but um, in terms of dosage-wise, like, is it, have, have you been sitting at the same dosage for a little bit, or is it something they, they would tell you generally it would have to increase it slowly? 
So, um, get build a tolerance to it at all? I'm very unaware of this. Uh, you can build a tolerance to it. Um, as somebody who used to get high recreationally, I don't <laughs> actually enjoy getting high recreationally anymore because yeah. now it's a medical necessity. Yeah. Um, it kind of shifted my whole perspective. Um, mm-hmm. well, so I take it only if I need it. Um, which means that I get to keep my lower tolerance to it and Mm -hmm. react as needed. And Mm -hmm. also that means that I don't have to like roll around being high all the time, Mm -hmm. um, which is, uh, has its pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I, I don't remember what my dosage is right now, but the vape pen, it's pretty easy because like you can take one, one puff if Mm -hmm. like you just need something to kind of ride out just a little bit, or you can take as many puffs as you need. And mm-hmm. you can just dose it that way because um, mm-hmm. an inhalation is basically your dosage. So yeah. sometimes I'm looking at a five inhale migraine and sometimes I yeah. just need like a one or two inhale to just kind mm-hmm. of get myself to simmer down a bit. Yes. So a lot um, of it's but, kind of you figuring, are you kind of predicting and estimating what what you would need, right? And predicting right. how bad it's going to get, right? Right. And like worst case scenario, you can always take more, but you can't take less. Yeah, exactly. You know, you you can't you can't sober yourself up. So I always kind of just start with two, Mm -hmm. and then um, if I need more, I take more. But if I don't need more, I just write it out, and it works pretty well. Um, It's not always the solvent; like it doesn't always fix the issue, right? And it's never going to fix the permanent issue. But I have a I have like a new healthy respect for what it can do for me and what it can't do for me. Sometimes okay. using it is completely just not an option because the pain mm-hmm. is I I know what my pain feels like mm-hmm. and I know that I have pain that will sometimes react really well to an ice pack. Mm-hmm. And then I know sometimes I have pain that will not react well to an ice pack. And sometimes my nerve pain is more mm-hmm. intense. Mm-hmm. So I need to know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that nerve pain comes down to my teeth. So I can't drink. I can't eat. I can't put anything in my mouth. So yeah. I know that that's one of the ones where like, I'm going to have to just ride it out in a dark bedroom with no cold, no high. Yeah. But then there's sometimes where like, I know that I can take it and I mm-hmm. know that it's okay for me to take it. So like, yeah. I'm forced to know what kind of migraines I have and how to react to it. Yeah. And I guess you've pretty much covered every kind of um, form of therapy under the sun. But <laughs> I know uh, as, uh, there's a YouTuber. Um, I think she has like um, trigeminal neuralgia. So she has mm-hmm. a lot of it's also, it's also known as like, the suicide um, syndrome or disease where people yeah. you get you get such immense like face pain that you basically want to kill yourself. Yeah, that's and, the one that um, goes down to my teeth. I get yeah, that. Like every yeah, every like seven to eight months, I have that. Yeah. So, uh, so that, and then she has it all over her face, and like, and mm-hmm. she's pretty much debilitated at, at pretty much the whole time when it flares yeah. up. And uh, I'm not sure if you explored this, but like, uh, I guess it's it's like it's kind of like more um, like a meditative approach mm-hmm. to therapy like like a lot of like, with chronic pain like there's only so much you can do physically and medically and a lot of it's kind of like training your brain to know yeah. how to cope, cope with it like have you ever had anybody ever recommended that at all or have so, you tried that um i've definitely done meditation when i was in college i took a qigong tai chi slash meditation class i'm also so i'm cool. also <laughs> i'm also a third degree black belt i grew up in a dojo what the so fuck? <laughs> Who, dude? So, 
So we would meditate a lot. So when I get to the point where I don't have like a treatment option that I can do like a cold pack or, um, like marijuana, Mm -hmm. um, I kind of, I, I just, I go into my little Sherlock Holmes mind palace (laughs) and I distract myself in my head. Um, and then like when a lot of, I hate to say this mind over matter, but a lot of things can be mind over matter in like rare instances where you just need to be mentally ready to just, you know, tackle an ox essentially. Um, so for instance, like you're on the, you're on a highway and you're an hour from home and you get slammed with this really bad pain and whether Mm -hmm. it's in your foot or in your hand or in your head and you have to, you know, you basically have to like bargain with yourself. Like we're, you know, start lying to yourself. We're only 10 minutes away. We're only 10 minutes away. I can only like 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes. And you start playing this game of like, just convincing yourself that it's really not that bad mm-hmm. and that you can get to where you need to be to just do whatever you need to do to take that pain away. Um, and I compare, it's very much meditative for me because I just, I'm forced to, I'm forced to think of these mental, you know, hurdles and, you know, just try to get through it by counting my breathing and bargaining with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really powerful tool but it can also be, it could also like, not, not fuck you up, but like, it can also change your frame of reference because what it has done for me is it has made me think that my baseline is like a two on the pain scale. My baseline is actually like a five or a six, but because I'm so used to it and I've convinced myself that like, this is nothing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's worked out in a good way where I think that my pain is lower, but I also don't Mm -hmm. take my pain seriously anymore. Or like when I go see a doctor, they're like, well, how bad your pain? I'm like, oh, it's only a two or three. And they give me this look yeah. like, why are you here? But like in yeah. all actuality, it's a five or a six. Yeah. And I should be there. But because yeah. I don't think of it as really bad anymore, yeah. because I've I've done the mental uh, hurdles to mm-hmm. convince myself otherwise to like just yeah. live with it. Yeah. It makes me sometimes a really bad advocate for myself in the doctor's office. Yeah. Do you minimize your own pain, you mean? I th- yeah. Like, well, I think as like a survival technique of like, sometimes you just don't have a medical option to do like to take or to treat yourself with. So you kind of have to convince yourself that the pain isn't there. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you have to do all the mental hurdles the mental gymnastics of like, this isn't real. This isn't real. This isn't real. And over time, <laughs> maybe it isn't real. It's like almost like yeah. fake it till you make it. Yeah. Um, but you because it, you, you fake it too well. <laughs> yeah. You fake it so well that forget that it's actually that you do have like a really bad flare or you have to go to the doctor for it you you find yourself downplaying it but like really no it's a serious thing that you really do need to get checked on but you've spent so long trying to survive it that you downplay it because that's the only way you can survive it yeah do you find that you do the same with your like mental health um Yes and no. Um, I find that my migraines are very connected to my mental health. I, I've learned not to downplay my mental health so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to. I used to be very much like, no, it's just depression, blah, 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 blah. But now I'm like, no, it's depression. Like, go be an adult about it and mm-hmm. own it. Yeah. Um, I try not to downplay it. Actually, I'm really good at avoiding. My therapist and I are working on this. Um, <laughs> 
I am pro at avoidance. Um, so we're working on it. So yeah. yes, I do it. I'm aware that I do it. Um, I'm trying to be better about it for sure. Well, why do you think you avoid your therapist? Is, is, is this a phenomenon that I don't know about because I'm not in therapy? Um, well, uh, I just have, I have really good avoidance tactics and like, I will change the subject 100 different uh, ways. Um, and I will completely downplay things that should not be downplayed because like, I just don't want to deal with it. Um, and my therapist is my therapist as of like two days ago was like, we need to talk about this. And I'm like, why? It works <laughs> really <track>. well. <laughs> it works yeah. 340 days out of the year. So there's like a solid <laughs> month. There's like a solid month of where avoidance tactics don't work. Yeah. But like 11 twelfths of the year is fine. <laughs> See, Josephine, are you listening to what Rags is saying right now? I'm looking at Josephine this whole time. Because uh, do you mind do you mind me sharing this yeah, little tidbit? Yeah. So I don't I don't remember what it was we were talking about, but you you mentioned like blah 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 blah. And you, you were so calm in the face about it. I'm like, uh, uh, does, does your ther- did your therapist know about this? Yeah, You're yeah. like, uh, no. I'm like, oh, like this should be the first thing you tell your therapist. Yeah, it, was, it was a trigger warning, I guess. It was abuse. So yeah. Because it was so normal yeah. to me that I was, no. I didn't recognize. And I saw Christine's face and I'm like, what? Is that wrong? Yeah. And then yeah. Like, well, wrong? yeah, I'm like, honey, <laughs> this is serious. <laughs> like, why are yeah. you? Wh-? Meanwhile, you're talking to your therapist about running your 5k i'm like uh, a 5k versus trauma like, like don't waste your therapist's time she, I know, damn I know. your own time rather the thing is she, <laughs> right? she just like lets me talk about whatever i want that's the whole point it gives me the choice of like not telling her some of the more important stuff mm. yeah and that's my therapist is that too yeah and i know like the reason i asked you uh, whether you do the same with your mental health is because i never used to like, even though I was diagnosed with depression, I never used to say I have depression. Mm-hmm. Never. Because I was like, I don't have depression. I I was literally in denial for the whole time. Because I'm like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. People have it worse. Yeah. I am literally, it's like minor, minor depression here mm-hmm. kind of thing. And yeah. It's until maybe like fourth, fifth year. So like two, three years ago that I was like, I have depression. Yeah. It's going to be okay kind of thing. Yeah. It's, okay that affects my life mm. because I guess I was so afraid that it would define who I am like stigmatized stigmatized but also it is yeah in that learned helplessness situation mm. where I would start to make excuse for myself saying I have depression it's okay for me to be like this mm. I guess yeah. that's what I was afraid of and like losing control I think is the main like the focus of that or like the mm. root of that and that's also the reason why I don't do recreational marijuana because it makes me lose control over like myself and my body yeah. and I hate that feeling and I'm pretty sure a lot of people do yeah so that's what I thought like would happen if I accepted the fact that I had depression mm-hmm. but, like, yeah. like it, it would it would take like, the diagnosis would take over you you mean exactly. yeah um I sorry I think you go, that, you go like, first right I think that like one of the things that I come across a lot with like talking to people on the podcast or like off mic at least is that some people are just really afraid to have like this checklist of disorders, right? And like you go down your checklist, like we all we all have a checklist of things that like tick us off or checklist of things that we enjoy, but like heaven forbid we have a checklist of disorders. And it's like, well, here's the thing. A lot of these disorders are interrelated, they're comorbid, they exist great on its own, but when mm-hmm. it's with somebody else, they're, they're like best friends, like anxiety and depression are 
best friends. Um, And like, it's almost unheard of to have anxiety, but not depression or depression and no anxiety. Um, But like you have a checklist and these checklists, I think of them as like, um, like a self-actualization process of this is the philosophy coming up. You have your sexuality, you Mm. have your gender, you have your interests, your hobbies, the things that you went to school with, uh, school Mm. for, you have your occupation, you have the color Mm. of your hair, you have your heritage, your culture, your ethnicity. And then, you know, you also have depression. So like for me, for instance, I'm a German Italian, um, competitive weightlifter who plays roller derby, Mm. but I also have a checklist of mental disorders. And it's like, okay, but I'm also queer. I'm also cisgender. I am. I also have these stunning bright green eyes. You know, I draw mazes. And it's like, this is just another part of you. Yes, mm-hmm. it influences your life. Yes, it affects your life. But so does your culture. So does your sexuality. So does your gender. So does a lot of things about yourself. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we're just all these puzzle pieces made up to comprise of who you are. And I think I know I don't ever want to say that mental illness or mental health is a gift, but it's sometimes not a curse because I think mm. a lot of times it allows us to relate to people in ways that you don't get the opportunity to do otherwise. Yeah. And so many people our age now have depression and anxiety and it's so stigmatized mm. yeah. that we need to talk about it. And sometimes the best way to get that conversation started is to just level with each other and say, mm-hmm. no, dude, I have it too. Yeah. You know, you're not alone. And it took a long time to realize that I wasn't alone. And it took a long time for me to realize that this is actually an issue. And I've ruined some really good friendships because of it. And now going forward, like, I don't think if I, I don't think I could go back and fix those relationships. I want to, but I don't think I could yeah. because the damage was already done. Yeah. But going forward, I'm going to be better and I'm going to be more on top of it. And I'm going to own my checklist of who yeah. I am yeah. because it's who I am. It's a part of me. It's not going away anytime soon. So I'm just going to own it. I'm going to try not to make excuses for it. And I'm going to get the help that I need. And I'm going to continue trying to be more of who I am, regardless Mm -hmm. of everything along the way. Mm -hmm. My self-actualization. Wow. (laughs) I mean... I'm speechless. I don't know about you, Josephine. Yeah, I, that was so beautifully said. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, eloquent. I know. Who are you? <laughs> who are you, Who are you not? Sorry. Um, you know, I am not a singer me. or a dancer. Do not ask me for anything about singing or dancing. Uh, but I'm sure you, you and your brain, if you put your work to it, you probably learn how to do it as well. Oh, God, no. Yeah, I cannot that's... hold a tune. I have no rhythm. <laughs> See, I have faults, people. Um <laughs> Greg's not perfect. Put it out not. there. Not, <laughs> not. She's human. So yeah, yeah. And um, I guess that I mean, like, I don't want to say like the kind of uh, what do you call that? You're the epitome of what <laughs> I think Josephine and I as 23, 24 year old digging around. Like that's like the eventual <laughs> goal. I think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, you seem like you're, you know, you're getting engaged and like you're doing all this and you got, you know, cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, you're so self-aware and you're working on it. That's a dream. That's a dream, dude. I think. So, yeah, sorry, I think you, you two are on your way there. I mean, honestly, oh, it's, it's everything at the end of the day, everything is a conversation and everything mm-hmm. is a chance to either learn and grow or mm-hmm. 
you know, you get stunted in your growth. And sometimes we get stunted and we hit a roadblock and that's okay. And I mean, these are all things that I, I've had to learn for myself. These are all things that I'm still learning. Like I sound super positive right now, but yesterday I was crying like 15 times. I was having a meltdown because I couldn't get a salad. Like, um, you know, it's called balance. <laughs> yeah. Balance. And take a day at a time. Yeah, really. <laughs> You're doing your best. If, if I was to say like one thing that being chronically ill and chronically in pain has taught me is that you can make all the plans you want for the future, but really honestly take it one day at a time. And sometimes yeah. when the pain gets bad, you're taking it five minutes at a time, one exactly. minute at a time. And yeah. you know, yeah, yesterday was kind of a shit day. I was like throwing things and I was having meltdowns and today I'm in a pretty good place. There you go. Does that mean that tomorrow is going to be great too? Who knows? But who knows? I am trying to be more positive for myself and for the people around me because I mm-hmm. feel like there's a lot of negativity. And mm-hmm. if I can't be positive, I, I need to learn to forgive myself. And I'm working on that too. Yeah. yeah. I'm not great at that, but I'm going to work on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think that's, that's the goal. You just got to keep working on it until you, you, you like take your last breath. So yeah. It's like catastrophize to death, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, catastrophe. Yeah, I mean, something we do well, Josephine. It's oh funny because my, my partner's derby name is Chris Catastrophe. So she catastrophizes Amazing. a lot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What a theme around here. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to ask, Rags? No, I think like we went through a lot of it. Yeah. Every question was that I wanted to ask was answered. Yeah, we, we so hit all the nails on the head. Yeah, you you just you just <laughs> took it over, and we were just sitting here just twiddling our thumbs, <laughs> absorbing. Yeah, I'm processing the antithesis thing still. I, know, like, I, feel like, I feel just so much smarter coming out of this. Yeah, and and I guess that's kind of the goal of our podcast too. It's like our our eventual goal is we want we want to share different people's stories, and like that even though we're you know relatively in the same area, you're you're around in America, and we're can- we're in Canada. Like <laughs> it's it's all those things where. It, people move through the world so differently like you said yeah 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 a lot of what my therapist says in this podcast in hopes that someone who can't access therapy can kind of yeah absorb that and apply yeah or the most important thing is like having a starting point Mm -hmm. but like hearing like narratives and stuff is very very important to me oh yeah yeah. 100 percent. so on that note thank you very much regs for your time you're welcome thank you Doing all the stuff that you do in life is, um, you're being amazing. You're amazing. So, thank you. Well, I want to thank you. It was definitely an experience being on the opposite side of an interview. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciated this. And I can't wait to, you know, interview you two. And I think we're doing it in October. All right. So on behalf of Josephine and I, thank you. And, and Rex, uh, we're signing off on the Bitonal podcast. Goodbye, guys. <laughs>